Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Look at that. We are connected. It's all it's very messy. We are connected with both of you guys. Can you guys hear us? Dan, I can you hear you us, my very, friend? I hear you very, very far away. Okay, well, well, well Eve, Eve, Evelyn, Evelyn, we're 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 gonna we're gonna get that fixed. I have I've got my other two co-hosts here. Dan, can you hear me, my friend? Yes, sir. I can. Okay. can you hear me? Okay, good. And we've got IQL Rizzoli. We have got a great guest with us today here on our broadcast. Evelyn Marcus is with us, a Dutch Jewish woman against the backdrop of Holocaust history. The groundbreaking, timely documentary Never Again is now uh, being released, and uh, it's on Amazon Prime in the United States, Canada, and the UK. And uh, this film is about the troubling rise of global anti-Semitism. And uh, first of all, Evelyn, um, Israel went from being a respected country to being portrayed by the European left as the New Age Nazis. Break that down for us, Evelyn. James, it's very hard to hear you. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, we're we're gonna we're gonna see if we can fix this here. Um, never again is now. Um, D- Dan, well, why don't you start us off here and uh, ask some questions of the filmmaker? Why get our audio fixed here? Can you hear me? I hear you well, but I hear James as if he's in a bathroom far away. Not a not a problem, <laughs> Dan. Dan, go ahead, jump in there. I'll, I'll fix all this nonsense. Go ahead, Dan. Uh, so thank you for coming on the show today. Um, I'm curious about um, why do you think that we have seen this level of increase of anti-Semitism around the world? What what do you think brought that on? Um, well, if we look at where it comes from, it comes from the left, it comes from the right, and it comes from the radical ideology, the radical religious ideology um, in, in parts of the Muslim population. Um, if we start with the left, um, we see that it's often Israel-related, and that... Um, the the hard left has come to dominate academia almost everywhere in the Western world. And from there, it trickles to media and mainstream. So we've, we've seen that in, in, in Europe, and we see it also um, start here in America. Uh, if we look at anti-Semitism from the right, then we, we see a rise of populism uh, partly as a reaction to um, uh, partly as a reaction to massive, uncontrolled immigration in the Western world, and with populism at the fringe, at the very far-right fringe, comes uh, white supremacism. So I want to make a distinction definitely between populism and white supremacy, but in the fringe of populism, you see white supremacy everywhere in the world. So with the rise of massive uncontrolled immigration, we see a rise of populism and we see a rise of white supremacy at the fringe of that. Then there is um, the, the, the global uh, Muslim population um, that, is, uh, that has uh, uh, part of it is, is observing uh, certain rules, and um, those rules in the religion are anti-Semitic. Others take the anti-Semitism from the country of origin in the Middle East. Um, so that's how we, that's also a factor that adds to the rise of global anti-Semitism. Do you think, uh, and I, I'm not going to apologize for putting you on the spot, but I need to ask the question for based on what you're saying. 
you believe that Donald Trump is a white supremacist? I do not. I do not are believe there, that at all. No. Are there uh, – so um, I happen to agree with you. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I have written uh, four books on uh, radical Islamic nuclear terrorism against the United States. And mm -hmm. I've studied uh, not as much as IQ, but I've studied a lot about the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And the we, we, we talk about – we use – as IQ has corrected me a zillion times, we have called Islam a religion, and it's not a religion. And he can he can explain that better than me. But my the reason why I'm raising that is that is if we use the term we use terms today, I can't speak for the rest of the world. I can only speak for my country. We use racial and discrimination terms like they were candy. The reason why I asked you the question is as to whether or not you believe Ronald, that uh, Donald Trump was a white supremacist. And I agreed with you because I believe the term has been so convoluted and destroyed that the vast majority of Americans no longer understand if they did in the beginning what a white supremacist truly is. We think in terms of Hitler, we think in terms of the American Nazis, um, and yet I don't think that the vast majority of Mem Americans today understand what they're hearing, but because they're hearing it from, quote, political leaders, they by and large believe it's true. Yet, I don't believe it is true. And we, we look at, for example, our uh, young freshman congressman in Minneapolis, who has been a, a proponent of anti-Semitism. And I think that, uh, if I've written about this, we have another problem, which I think is even more important, than white supremacism, and that is we have a United States and many other other parts of the world that are controlled and intimidated by political correctness. And so that under the guise of political correctness, if you don't believe this, you're a racist, you're a homophobe, you're a bigot, you're anti-Semite, whatever. And so that yeah. we, have, we have created the idea that if we express our opinion, and it may be different than somebody else's opinion, we still have, at least in the United States, we still have an opportunity to express that opinion. But in other countries of the world, political correctness is so strong that the cost or the penalty for express, freely expressing yourself is, is dramatic. Murder, yeah. killed, hung, whatever. And so what I think is what we have in the United States is a clash between, uh, I won't call them white supremacists, but I'm, I, I'm talking about people in general who believe that they are the only correct answers on anything and anybody else does not have a right to their opinion. We see that, for example, in the squad in the United States, the four Democratic Congress ladies, freshmen. They openly believe that if you don't agree with them, you have no right to your opinion. You have no voice and you should have no voice. And we've seen that spread dramatically across the country. And so when somebody says that he or she believes that that person is a white supremacist, as we have many candidates running for the Democratic nomination, believe that President Trump is a white supremacist. My question, it's a long yeah. way to get to it, why? Why are they using that moniker to attack the opposition? Um, you know, I, I cannot answer that question for them, um, but I think that... Um, 
nationalism is and and borders are are already considered to be racist and uh, by by those people and i think um that has to do with a uh, swing to the far left in the United States of, 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 of a substantial amount of people, especially in, in the universities. The universities are dominated by the hard left. And in, in that Marxist thinking um, that is dominating there, um, there, the world just consists of two groups. And that is the oppressed and the oppressors. Mm -hmm. And so anybody who comes from a poor country um, and or has um, and, and, and comes from an identity group that um, that has um, um, how do you say maybe less um, uh, opportunities. Or freedom, and anybody who comes from that background to the border and is stopped, that is oppression in that way of thinking. And um, so, having borders, uh, not wanting to to globalize totally as a nation, but keep the own nation state in that Marxist thinking, um, you know, in, in, is 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 oppressive. And oppressive means racist means you know you can you can add all the all the the labels to it. What it basically means is you're an oppressor, and you're defending your own privileged race in that thinking. So I think it has this became more popular because it's preached in universities days in day out. Um, to the leaders of today and tomorrow. Well, if you if if I follow what you're saying, um, that the the many decades of control of the university system, and even the primary and secondary schools in the public sector, we have been breeding a group of students who are anti. American tradition and values, yeah. and and they have this. They have decided uh, what we just spoke about a few moments ago. They have decided that they are right, and if you disagree with them, you don't have the right to disagree. You do not have yes, because, the right to. Yes, because they see their their uh, their own. A position in the debate as uh, the position that has the the more that is morally right. So they 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 see their own uh, opinion as the only morally right opinion. And therefore, is any other opinion is immoral and has to be uh, has to be silenced, has to be punished. Um, so they that it's under the flag of the moral right that they shut down uh, any other opinion than their own. And I think especially young people, like in their university age, really believe that. I think they're really convinced about uh, about. But if you if you just take what you just said, if I might be so bold as to say. Don't you have to have a moral compass in order to be morally right? And if you don't have a moral compass, if you believe that we can kill a baby after it's born and call it post-birth post abortion, when we can say that that's, that's correct and right, where is, where is the moral compass that the left, as you articulate, is gaining their 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 belief system that says it's morally correct. Because I don't believe that they have a true morality in the traditional religious sense, whether it's 
regardless of the religion, there is no there is no religion there. There is no belief in God in a higher order and responsibility for your fellow man. In fact, it's the other way around. If the fellow man doesn't agree with what you do, not only do you get to shut him up, but you can kill them. Where is the moral basis for that philosophy? Yeah, well, you know, if, if I may lead it back to the topic uh, that I am uh, active about, that is uh, anti-Semitism, um, we have seen anti-Semitism um, occur over history in all parts of the world. Mm -hmm. We've seen it in all. We have seen it in all cultures. We've seen it in all at all times. Um, it came from secular societies, and it came also uh, from religious uh, organizations and societies. Um, my mother taught when I grew up. My mother taught me uh, a her lesson. Uh, from her experience in the concentration camps of the Nazis. She mm -hmm. said, I saw people, um, act, my, my fellow prisoners, I saw them act like, like really righteous and, and, and courageous and, and, and defending people and feeding others from, you know, and, 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 and starving themselves. And I saw people steal, other people steal the bread of their children. And she said, one thing I learned is that it didn't make any difference whether somebody was religious or not. I've seen religious people do bad things. I've seen non-religious people do great things in those circumstances. So I don't think that religion... Um, is a solid predictor for moral behavior either. Okay. I, think uh, I agree. Yeah. I, I, I think I understand that. So let me go back to your premise. And that's the, the anti-Semitism. Um, I've, I've done a lot of interviews. And one of the things that I talk about, hasn't done it for a while, but have done it many, many times, is... Why does why does the American Jew put herself in the following position? Democrat first, liberal second, Jewish third. Why do they do that? Um, that's also a little bit hard for me to to answer because I am originally from Holland. I I live here only for. Uh, 13 years now. I didn't grow up here, um, so you know I don't have that that the deepest uh, understanding of the American Jews. But from what I have observed in the past 13 years, it has a lot to do with um, it has a lot to do with the the the, the gratitude to this country with a family history of coming from Eastern Europe, from the pogrom, um, having no place to go, there was no state of Israel. Uh, the only place that, that the Jews were welcome was in, in America. So there is this deep gratitude to America uh, about being welcome here. Um, and being free here, it was it, it was the, the the country in the West also, if you compare it to Europe, where Jews had suffered the least from anti-Semitism, had most freedom of all countries in the world. So there is this deep gratitude to America, and it is associated from those times um, with the Democratic Party. It is associated from those times, and I'm talking about the 1920s. Uh, with the and, and then later in the 60s, the, the civil rights movement, like the freedom we found here, we have uh, we know that has to be the freedom everybody in America should um, enjoy. And 
And today we see it with the refugees. Uh, there is this, this deep uh, conviction that having been refugees themselves or their grandparents or their great-grandparents, now we have to grant the same refuge to others who knock on the door of the United States. So I think it has to do with, um, uh, with, with that past. But what 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 doesn't make uh, any sense to me? I'm not saying is you're 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 wrong. I'm saying what doesn't make sense to me is the practical reality. If you take about, if you look at the refugees coming across the southern border, about sixty percent are Hispanic Mexicans. Yet, the Mexican population in the United States, in great in great numbers, is absolutely opposed to illegal immigration. Because they came to this country under a set of rules of how they came in, just like you and your yeah. family came in. And so yeah. they don't see what the illegals are doing and how they're coming into the country and depleting the financial resources and the physical resources of the towns that they enter into and don't care about the country, don't care about the flag, don't care about the Constitution – it's what they can get for themselves. And so you have a, 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 a rift between previous generations of legal immigrants and their belief and anti-support for the illegals that are coming across the border. How do you deal with that? Um, maybe the difference is that... Um a lot of immigra Hispanic immigration has to do more with economic uh, reasons for immigrating than uh, being persecuted. So you're saying that people uh, are coming from Central and South America because of their, their lack of economic opportunity and coming to the United States gives them more economic opportunity here than they would ha ever have in their home countries. Yes, and we see that all over the Western world that most of the immigration is not an escape of persecution or war, but is an escape of economic, uh, I would say, deprivation or, or less opportunity than in the West. Uh, whereas the, the immigration of the Jews in the, at the end of the 19th century to the United States in the, and in the 1920s was for to escape persecution mm -hmm. so there is a um it, it was more a matter of life and death and therefore it's very ingrained uh, over the generations uh, of american jews here I, that's at least a part of of the answer maybe not so, the whole answer yeah. so when you when you say that are you are you suggesting that jews in europe are under more pressure from a religious position, meaning that they're Jews as opposed to economic issues. Could you repeat that, please? Sure. Do you believe that the Jews are in, who are in Europe are under yeah. more pressure with the anti-Semitism, not because of economic issues, but because of religious issues, because they're Jewish members of the Jewish faith? Jews in Europe right now are considered Zionists and therefore oppressors um, in the in the eyes of the left. Jews in the eyes of uh, Muslims with a radical ideology or with the anti-Semitic um, concept of their country of origin see Jews as the enemy of Allah and see Jews as, in general, as the enemies of Palestinian rights. Um, Jews in Europe are seen by the right, uh, by the far right, by the white supremacists, as not white and therefore should go. Um, so... That's how Jews are seen in Europe today. Okay. All right. IQ, are you there? I'm here. I'm listening. 
Yeah, well, I'm turning it over to you. I've, I've hogged a lot of time here. Go ahead. Okay. I have a lot of points here. First of all, with all due respect to everybody, there has never been anti-Semitism in the history of humanity. Never. There was always anti-Jews, but never anti-Semitism. Hitler, in his Mein Kampf, in his speeches, he ranted, Juden, 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 means Jew. He never spoke about Semitism. I'll tell you why. The Arabs are Semites. All of them are Semites. And Hitler loved Muhammad. And in his conversations, and as well in Mein Kampf, he preferred Islam over Christianity. So when people speak about anti-Semitism in the 20th century and 21st century, it is totally wrong. Why? It's anti-Jews. Arabs are Semites, but nobody is hating them. Even as we are speaking now, we are being politically correct. The greatest threat to humanity today is Islam. The worst enemy of the Jews is not the far left and far right, Islam. Why? Because it is in the Quran. And any Muslim has to follow the Quran. And the Quran is full of hate towards Jews. Not only all, all of humanity. The Quran is the enemy of 80% of humanity who is not Muslim. Because too far, infidels. So, from the point of view of terminology, this anti-Semitism should be taken out and use the word correctly, anti-Jews. Other people hide behind their anti-Jews, they're saying Zionism. They don't even know what the Zionist word means. They have no idea. They speak about our apartheid. <clears throat> Especially Muslims speak about apartheid. Ask them to spell it. They don't know how to spell it. But they don't even know the meaning of apartheid. How is Israel apartheid? When it is completely multi and multiracial. But there we go. Hatred of Jews, <clears throat> from my study, which has been long term, are based on two religious groups, Christianity and Islam. Buddhists don't hate Jews. Hindus don't hate Jews. Pagans, atheists, they don't hate Jews. In fact, in Southeast Asia, in China, Japan, and Korea, they look towards the Jews and Israel because they say to themselves, and that's public, by the way, I mean, you can check it if you want on the Google. They're asking the question, how is it possible that 0.2% of humanity produces 21% of Nobel laureates? Is that possible? How is it possible for Israel, 8.5 million people surrounded by 450 million Arabs, outproduce the whole Muslim states of 1.5 billion people? They ask these questions because they are logical questions, and they want to emulate them. So the hatred in Islam is religious. The hatred in Christianity was based on the Catholic movement from the moment the Roman Empire became Christian. This is not discrimination. This is history. Who did the Inquisition? Who, who murdered and pogromed the Jews in Europe? The Jews were in Europe before any state in Europe was created. There were no states called Poland and everything else. They were there. They came with the Roman Empire. They spread with the Roman Empire. They stayed with the Roman Empire. So when we talk about anti-Semitism today, it rose because of the Muslims who came to Europe. It is happening in America because of the Muslims who are coming to America. This is not racism. This is fact. I deal with facts. And I challenge any human being to refute me with facts. Not, uh, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, I agree with you that it's certainly a big part of the rise of anti-Semitism in, in Europe. And I agree also with you that uh, Jew hatred would be a better term. Um, but um, uh, it's not the only factor. It's definitely one of the two biggest factors. The other big factor is the rising anti-Semitism on the left. And in Europe, you have a special dynamic going on psychologically because there is a lot of guilt 
in European societies about the Holocaust, and especially on the left, where people want to be good people, um, and, and believe they are such good people with the whole moral right on their side, etc. Um, they could never, they could never, they feel very, very guilty about what happened during the Holocaust, and then, then to be able to, to criticize Israel emotionally and enthusiastically is such an emotional relief, you know, of that guilt feeling. Hey, now we see Israel behaves the same way as the Nazis did. That is a big emotional relief for Europeans um, who are uh, left and, and heavily criticizing Israel. And those left, their ideology is identical to the ideology of Islam. They will not tolerate. We said it. You said it yourself. You said that they will not tolerate an opposing point of view. Islam will not tolerate an opposing point of view. It's exactly the same. This is why they support the Muslims. This is why they support the so-called Palestinians. They know there was never a state called Palestine in human history. They know there was never a people called Palestinian. They know, if they wanted to study it, it's there. That it was in 637 when the Arabs who came out from the peninsula of Arabia, the Jazeera Arabia, who conquered the Holy Land, subjugated it. It used to be a Christian land. True, there were Jews there, but it was a Christian, Byzantine Christian. What did they do to them? They exterminated them. Where are the, the Christians in Iraq? My country, Iraq, in 2003. We had 1.3 million Christians, the oldest yeah. Jew, Christian community in, in history. What we have today, 200,000, and are, most of them are leaving. What about the Christians in Syria, obliterated? In Lebanon, were, were they the, the Lebanon was the jewel of the Middle East, with 60%, it was 60% Christian. Now they are less than 30%. This is what's happening with immigration. We're talking about immigration. This is not immigration. This is hijra. Hijra is invasion. It's Arabic word for you. Muhammad made the hijra from Mecca to Medina. What did he do in Medina? He obliterated the people who lived in Medina, the three tribes of the Jews. The same thing is happening in America. They come to you, they are not immigrants. They will never assimilate. They will never integrate. And the problem with the Jews in America is their utter stupidity. I don't miss my words by them. Why do I say utter stupidity? Because they think they are the same, that the, these Muslims are the same as the Jews. Not at all. You said it. The Jews were running away from pogroms and extermination. These people are invaders who are going to come in, take your wealth, and destroy you with it. From with it. No question about it. Anybody who reads the Quran, and I've always said it, there are 114 chapters, don't bother with 114 chapters. Read eight chapters. Chapter two to chapter nine inclusive. Nobody will ever come against me in a debate. Why? Because I base my debates on the Quran. I base my debates on the Hadith. Arabic is my mother tongue. I was born in Baghdad. I was born in Iraq. In 12 years, I have not had a single Imam debate me, although I have had 1,227, 1,527 radio talk shows in America, by the way. So, mm -hmm. I yeah, ran to this, but I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, go on, sorry. No, I, I, I agree with you that uh, we in the West, Jewish and non-Jewish, uh, government and grassroots, have very little understanding of um, the religion of Islam. We don't know much about it. We don't study it. Why don't you read it? You don't have to I, study it. Why don't, not I, you? I, I mean, why don't you? All you have to do is read it, damn it. Read it. I yeah, said. And we, and we, and we, and we, ha and we haven't... 
and we haven't done that. So we we uh, we haven't done that, and we also we haven't studied how many of the 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 uh, how how much of the Muslim population in our midst is actually adhering to Islam and uh, and what that means in in their convictions and what that means for their uh, behavior and for their definition of moral behavior. We don't know that, and we should know that. And we should also be able to make distinctions within that population, um, people who adhere to Islamic values that do not fit in our Western values, and people who want to, who don't care so much about their Islamic religious background and people who want to modernize it. That's, that's for me is the good news that a Muslim reform movement has started in the United States. These are people who want to modernize their religion, whether or not there is theological room for it. You know, it could be a sociological reform. Um, like we had in Judaism. Uh, reform Judaism, how much theological room was there for reform Judaism? Probably not much or none. And yet it's now the biggest denomination of Judaism in the United States. So I see a beginning of that now, uh, also in the Muslim population in, in America, and I am very supportive of that. First and foremost, for the Muslim population itself, women, um, um, uh, uh, LGBT community, um, they, they want their rights. Uh, if they are of Islamic background, they want their rights within their own community. So for them, it's a big difference. If the, it would be a big difference if they could still call themselves Muslims, but in a more reformed, more modern uh, way live in a more modern way and be accepted by their own community. And for for the, the non-Muslims living with the Muslims, it would make a di big difference as well. So uh, I, I strongly support uh, the Muslim reform movement and also the rights of, of, of course, of those who want to leave Islam altogether, which should be possible in the West, but I know many Muslims who ex-Muslims who did that and who are still walking around with security because they are threatened by their own uh, community and terrorist groups. Jim, can I, family. can I jump in here for just a second, Jim? Yes, go ahead. Um, I, I wrote my first book on Islamic terrorism five years ago. And IQ talked about the number of talk shows he's been on um, I've probably been on triple that in the same period of time. One common question, which I stopped asking, I would ask the hosts on the show, what percentage of your listeners have ever read any part of the Quran or Sharia law? And the answer that I consistently have gotten over five years, probably less than 1%. The second question I ask, what percentage of congressmen and senators have read the Quran or Sharia law? And they all came back with the same answer, about the same. And I, I asked those two questions not to embarrass the talk show host, but to point out what you're talking about. And that is that we as a country do not understand why certain elements of this philosophy hate us enough that they want to do everything they can to kill us. And not having any understanding, it becomes very difficult to figure out how to fight them to protect yourself. And so we have people making outlandish statements who don't know what they're talking about in the press. We have our lady friend up in um, Minneapolis, who is probably the most uh, anti-Semite in the Congress, at least spokenly, and I, I, point to, I point to the issue is that when, when the, she made, started to make her, re, 
her anti-Semite remarks shortly after she took office, some people in the Congress were so outraged they wanted to censure her. And what ultimately happened, there was no censure vote. There was a resolution passed by the House for the protection of Muslims. So yeah. the House was intimidated. The House was intimidated by the Muslim contingent in their attack against Jews in the country, and yet they didn't do anything about it. That tells me that while they may only be 3% of the population or less in the United States, they have a very powerful influence on what's happening in the United States. And that scares me more than anything else. I would uh, I, I agree with you about the, um, the, the people, the, the part of the American uh, um, Muslim population that is politically engaged and uh, thinks that uh, Islam should uh, rule all aspects of life, which is not at all an Islamic to think, but there are, thank goodness, uh, a lot of more secularized Muslims who don't take, in America, who don't take everything serious that is said in their religion or in their religious law. Um, and there, there are, as I said, also uh, people who want to reform it. So I, I, I agree with you on uh, official Islam as far as I know it, um, but there we have to make distinctions within the Muslim population. Uh, not every Muslim in America is behind, totally behind his or her own religion. But, but, but my friend IQ, who has taught me many, many times, and I know he wanted to say this, but I'm going to, I'm going to steal this thunder just a little bit. No, no, but I, I'm if, if you can't, if you can't follow the the beliefs in your in your religious law, how can you call yourself a Muslim? Well, I can I can call myself a Jew and uh, a Reformed Jew, and and you know and not believe in everything of Jewish law, or stand behind everything in Jewish law. Um, but but the and, but the, the problem I have with that analysis. With, with no disrespect intended, what gives you, what gives an individual Muslim, an individual Catholic, Baptist, Protestant, whatever, the right to make a self-determination as to whether he or she is going to follow the tenets of his philosophy or religion, that they are the ultimate arbiter. Then you have anarchy. You don't have a religion. Well, again, you've seen it in, in Judaism. There is no theological room, as far as I know, or very little, for starting a Reformed Judaism that gets rid of Jewish law. It, it observes certain traditions and, and, and philosophies, but it, it doesn't observe religious law as the Orthodoxy does. The Orthodoxy does it according to the rules that were set hundreds of years ago and that, that got frozen, and, and um, that was not on purpose, but they got frozen uh, in time. And so they live exactly according to the law, to Jewish law. But the Reformed Jews, who are many more, they still say I'm Jewish, they still say I'm religious, they still go to synagogue, but they, they adhere to a kind of Judaism that is not observing the traditional law. And, of course, the Orthodox Jews say that, that it's not Judaism, but still, if you look at it sociologically, it's the biggest group of affiliated, religiously affiliated Jews. So sociologically, you can speak of a reform, a reform Judaism, and I see the same possibility for Islam. But I, I, I look at Muhammad, and when he gave his followers Sharia law and the Quran, uh, many of our listeners don't understand that, that dots are used over letters for specific emphasis. 
in, in the words that are used in these documents. And IQ can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that Muhammad told his followers, change not a dot. Obviously. This is why the lady is definitely wrong in honestly believing there are shades in Islam. Let me ask you a question, madam. Have you ever heard of a moderate Nazi, of an extremist Nazi, of a militant Nazi? Have you ever heard that? Or of a communist? Why with Islam? When Islam mandated in Quran that every Muslim must obey the Quran fully. You're talking about secular Muslims. It cannot be. In Islam, there are only two types of human beings. Sharia compliant or infidels. There are no shades in Islam. Who said so? Ask Erdogan of Turkey. Four years ago, he told the European Union leaders in anger. And by the way, you can Google it. He said, what are you talking about shades of Islam? Islam is Islam. This is why he has changed Turkey from a secular state from under Ataturk to a Sharia compliant state. Most Muslim states today are Sharia compliant. And when you are Sharia compliant, a Muslim who doesn't go to mosque is automatically not only ostracized, it's finished off. So when you speak about moderate Muslims and a reform movement, it doesn't exist. It hasn't existed in 1400 years. It will never exist. This is not Judaism. This is not Christianity. It is a regimented belief system. And Muhammad and his Quran told his followers never, ever to question the Quran. Simple, not complicated. This is why to defeat Islam, you have to learn. To defeat your enemy, you have to know who he is and how he thinks. This is why the West has not been able to defeat Islam. And you will never be able to defeat Islam. Islam will win in the end because your tolerance is unlimited. My tolerance is quite limited. Those who want me dead, I'll have them dead. That is back to you. A lot to think about there, to unpack. Um, yes, not yeah. So go ahead. I just wanted to, I wanted to, to to move the subject just a little bit. Tell us more about your movie. Um, so, as a child of Holocaust survivors, growing up in Holland, virtually without any anti-Semitism in the sixties, seventies. And then seeing anti-Semitism rise steeply as of 2000, um, I, I became active uh, against anti-Semitism. So I, I, suddenly in 2000, I heard yells in the streets of Amsterdam, uh, Hamas, Hamas, Jews to the gas, uh, kill all the Jews, um, uh, cancer Jew. Um, and this was almost a daily thing and also I had friends who went to synagogue on Saturday morning and they got stones thrown at their head, uh, stones thrown to, through the windows of rabbis, um, people beaten up in the street because they were wearing a kippah. Um, and so I, 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 had, I could not look away from that and so I started uh, to look into it, how much is this happening, where is it happening, who is doing this, and um, I saw that this was happening all over Western Europe, and if we talk about the violent uh, anti-Semitism, it was coming from the Muslim immigrant population. Um, so I became active, I started a non-profit uh, that knocked on doors and alerted all kinds of people and organizations to stand up against it, which they were very reluctant of doing because standing up against a cultural minority is not done in political correct environments and also politics. So it was, there wasn't much movement in the right direct, direction there. And then in 2006, uh, a star of, pink Star of David was graffitied at our front door. 
and um, and soon after that, uh, I got the I got the uh, the opportunity to move to the United States, and that's what I did together with my partner. And um, then a few years later, uh, the 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 journalist Glenn Beck had a um, documentary team that heard about our personal story of leaving Europe because of the rising anti-Semitism and wanted to make a documentary about it. So we started filming and at some point I became the owner of the film and um, I just distributed it on Amazon Prime Video and the title is Never Again Is Now. So in the film... You see the personal story of my parents during the Holocaust. You see their mir- the miraculous liberation by the Americans um, um, right before my mother and her family would be gassed. The Americans stopped the train and liberated them. Um, the, the, the film team found a veteran of 97 years old of the 9th American Army who had personally opened the train where my family was in and liberated them. I meet them. I meet him. The team had me meet him, and it was very emotional for me to be able to thank you to him, uh, say thank you to him. Um, So you see that in the film, and then the film moves on with my experiences and observations in Europe with the rising anti-Semitism, then the film moves on to people that I interview, thought leaders that I interview, among them Ayane Hirsi Ali um, and Kanta Ahmed, uh, I interview them about their perspective on these developments. And certainly the religious also uh, is being discussed. And then the last part of the film is actually added um, after we have already finished, because suddenly anti-Semitism also started to rise in the United States. So that is an epilogue about the rise of anti-Semitism in the United States, coming from the left, coming from the far right, and the, with that I mean white supremacists, and coming from um, also from uh, radical Islam in the sense that. Uh, there were imams in the past two, de- two years uh, in several mosques in the United States who called for the annihilation of the Jews. So I show that as well in the film. And the film was released last Wednesday on Amazon Prime Video. Never again is now. Um, well, I, I, I thank you for your story. Uh, let me just give you one you may know this or may not know this. Uh, under the under the Trump administration, the Department of Homeland Security is providing security funding for churches and synagogues to make their churches more secure. I have a friend who has a business here in Florida that he's doing an enormous amount of business with Jewish synagogues and reinforcing their windows and doors uh, mm-hmm. to, to protect not only because of what happened in Pittsburgh or on the West Coast, but in general, the increase in crimes against the Jewish people. So it's, it's enough that it got the attention of the Department of Homeland Security to provide money to make our churches more secure. Mm-hmm. I happen to belong to a Catholic church where I live, and we have new security measures. And that is, once mass starts, all the exterior doors are all locked so that nobody can get in to the church during the worship service, but can only go for the front door. And so Catholics, Jews, and I'm sure other people are very concerned about the security and the protection of life in the United States, but I don't think it's from white supremacists. I think it's from people who just plain hate Jews, Catholics, and Christians. 
May I suggest? Yes. May, sorry. May I suggest you put armed people from the congregation, legally armed, much better, much faster. You have the Second Amendment. You have the right to do that. It's, it appears to me that, uh, and I would be interested in your your take. It appears to me that there is a group of people. I will not put a name on them, but a group of people who wants to eliminate the Constitution by eliminating many of the rights under the Constitution that protect all of us. And they're very adamant about it. They want to get rid of the freedom of speech. They want to get rid of freedom of press. They want to get rid of guns. They want to get rid of freedom of assembly. Things that are, were important to our founding fathers and to all of us to keep ourselves free. And yet the left continues to press. They want to change the way we elect presidents by eliminating the electoral college and on and on and on. And yet we have people in this country who I believe do not know what it means to be an American, and it's because it's not taught in our school system. We're taught in the school system to hate America, that America is bad, and it has to be changed. And the election that we're going to have a year from now, I think it's going to be a, a referendum on where this country is going. Is it going to continue to be a free capitalist society or is it going to turn socialist and communist and never in my lifetime of 75 years have i ever seen such a clear differentiation between the two political parties that's enough for me jim well uh, as we wrap up here uh, iq how do we get a hold of you online my friend as usual Google my name, Al-Rasuli, A-L-R-A-S-S-O-L-I. And if you want to read my books, trilogy, Lifting the Veil, the True Faces of Muhammad and Islam, is on Amazon. God bless you. Thank you for your call today. Thank yes, you. yes. Dan, uh, you. wrap up with us here and uh, promote your projects and everything. Well, I, uh, as I said, I have four books on Islamic t nuclear terrorism against the United States available at Amazon, two children's books available at Amazon. I do, like IQ, but probably a little more, I do 40 to 60 radio and television interviews a month. I write for 12 different blogs in the country, and I'm a novelist who continues to write novels. I have a foundation called Songs and Stories for Soldiers. All the information about that is available at danperkins.guru G-U-R-U I thank you for your your time today sometimes iq and i can be a little tough on a guest but i <laughs> that's great that's good you're great but you 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 <laughs> took it you took it like a champ and and, and yeah. hopefully maybe some of the things that we said uh helped enlighten you and maybe you do think about some things i am going to go see your movie i have an amazon prime subscription so i'll look at it in the next few thank days you. and thank you and i'll talk about it and, um, you know, I, I really have, I, I'm, I'm not trying to be long here. I just have, I, I know this sounds, sounds uh, crazy, but my best friend in my life was the gentleman I went through basic training with in the Army. I'm still friends with 50-some years later. He is a Reformed Jew, and his mother and father mm -hmm. were Reformed Jews. And I got along mm -hmm. with them very well, except they were absolutely livid Democrats, couldn't stand Republicans no matter who it was. So <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you for putting up with, with us today. It made it for a very interesting program. And good yes. luck to you. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you very much for having me. Thank well, you. well Evelyn, uh, I appreciate you being with us. And thanks to everybody. And we will uh, talk to Dane and IQ next week. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much for uh, having me uh, in your interview. Thank yes. you so much. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. And uh, there they go, and uh, there we go.
Hello, everybody. I'm Kip Marlowe, author of The Entrepreneur's Success and Sacrifice. If you're interested in starting a business, growing your current one, or just need some inspiration, this is the book for you. Learn the secrets of success from entrepreneurs like Arlene Neen, who just started her seventh company at the age of 96. Order it at ecrsuccess.com or at Amazon and learn 22 stories of ordinary people who became wildly successful. It could change your life. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.